actual plastic gold coins. And then they, they can buy amazing gifts for, for uh, learning and studying. So it's a cool program, actually. But Well, it's an honor to be here today. It's, it's a beautiful day. Thank you for coming. Sometimes it takes a certain commitment to come. We, we've been without power at our house uh, for, uh, since Friday morning, which, you know, I've been really suffering. I mean, I, when I make coffee, I have to grind it by hand. It's, you don't know what suffering is. <laughs> Actually, 30, almost 38 years ago, my wife and I got a hand coffee grinder uh, for, I think it was a wedding gift, and we've used it a few times, and I've used it uh, the last 48 hours. Um, but, you know, the people are really suffering, and we aren't, but it's good that you came. The few leaves on your driveway, maybe a limb on the street should not present, prevent us, correct? Should not prevent us from uh, being in the house of the Lord together. Uh, it's awesome. Isn't it worth it uh, to come and worship and sing these great hymns of the faith? It's just gorgeous and beautiful. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I had a rather poignant experience this past week, this past Wednesday. Um, I was invited to speak at a memorial service for a dear beloved friend. Uh, Tony Daring. Uh, he was the blind man that often sat up here. Uh, he'd been a member of our church for roughly five years. And I got to be his pastor for the last five years of his life. He, the Lord took him home so suddenly. He was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer. And so they said, maybe you have six months. And he died less than six weeks later, really. Very aggressive, very sad. But he knew the Lord Jesus, he loved the Lord Jesus, and he, he served. He served through pain. Uh, I had the glorious privilege of transporting him around once in a while, uh, for, particularly for men's breakfast. I got to bring him in uh, at 6.30 in the morning. For him, that was difficult. He hated 6.30. You know, just that doesn't exist on my clock kind of guy. But he really wanted to be there and uh, to hear the word and to support the ministry. And, and um, so I pick him up. Anyways, just glorious, just to talk with him. But maybe you've heard me say this before, just him getting in out of the car. I'll never forget that because typically he would be moaning in pain because um, uh, his back was so bad that he had to crunch down to get into. Finally, I got to, to take in the uh, minivan, which was a lot better for him. Uh, I hope you won't think less of me, but I, you know, while I was transporting him often like this, I kept asking the Lord, you know, Lord, why don't you give me uh, a nice little SUV, you know, a red Escalade or, you know, something along that line, you know. And I kept, you know, you know, sort of casually praying this. And then Tony lets me down. He dies before I get my Escalade. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. <laughs> um, but uh, it was a privilege. It was a privilege because he served through pain. And one of his services was for 16 years, he went down to Soledad to the major state prison there. It's called the Correctional Institution or something like that. Um, yeah, I heard somebody say something. I say yes to whatever you said, although I don't know what you said, so that's a little dangerous. <laughs> um, 16 years he went down, uh, typically on Wednesdays, and then he would go on down on Sundays, and again, traveling in a great deal of pain, but he'd preach to, on Sundays he'd often preach, uh, once a month, he would preach to 300 guys. There. And they, they have three chapels, sort of all in a row, it's kind of strange. Uh, and he'd preach in each one of them. And uh, so I had the privilege of going down to lead a memorial service there for all, a lot of these men who've known him for a long time, some of them 16 years. Uh, and I'll tell you what, that was quite an experience. You know, we got there a little early, and I was sitting on the front row over here, and uh, as the men come in to the chapel, uh, most of them greet everybody. 
they'd shake hands, they you know, little hugs and you know, a lot of hallelujahs, a lot of praise the Lord, or how are you doing, good to see you. Um, and they're working the crowd. They're all working the crowd. It's an extremely warm place. And, and then when they come up and do their music, uh, it's, it's amazingly responsive. Uh, lots of folks are, you know, really singing their heart out and, and singing, uh, saying hallelujah and praise the Lord. And then, honestly, it's, it's a, a joy to preach in that kind of environment. It's a joy to preach here, too. I'm not disrespecting you. This is a different culture, though. That culture there, they're, they're hungry and thirsty uh, for the truth of God. And many of them are profound Christians. I talked to this one guy who's been, who's been in Soledad 28 years. He's been incarcerated for 32 years. Uh, most of them are, are there because of murder. Most of them are life sentences, uh, the guys that come. And this guy, was, he knew his Bible. He couldn't say a sentence without quoting something from Scripture. Uh, he's just zealous. And while I talked to him, he teared up several times, just passionate and in love with the Lord God. And, and, you know, maybe it's easier for them, honestly. Maybe it's easier for them, right? Because there's not much else in their life. Pretty dreary, pretty, uh, pretty dead-end situation. And they, they need... Uh, they need the Lord, and they need to express their love for the Lord. And so I, I really enjoyed that. I thought, you know, it's funny. I, I, not, none of you laughed about my joke about the Eskimos. I thought, what kind of people? That was a good one. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Colby only shakes his head, Dad. No. <laughs> but... Um, Oh shoot, I lost, I lost what I was going to say. Uh, I was thinking about Tony going down there. Oh, this is it, yeah. Uh, this is not really funny, but it's kind of interesting. I, this hit me afterwards. After we were, uh, on the way out, we were leaving, and all the prisoners were greeting us and thanking me for coming. Um, I, and I realized, you know, Tony's been asking me for years to come down and preach here. You know, and finally he got me down there to, to preach. And it was an amazingly rewarding experience for me. Um, and I, I don't know what will come of it next time, but I was honored to be there. So I, I'm talking to you uh, today from 1 Corinthians 7, in the world, not of the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We're, we're somehow detached from the world. We need to be, we need to kind of grow in detachment uh, to the world. And it reminded me, too, of, of one of the key passages in the entire Bible, really. One of the key passages in the entire Bible is, is Deuteronomy 6. Um, if you went to a Jewish synagogue today, you would hear the Shema, Shema O Israel. This is the Shema. Shema is the Hebrew word for hear and listen. Um, and so Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Shema, or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's a massive concept. That's really honestly saying there's nothing else. There's one self-sufficient, uncreated being who exists forever in eternity. It's God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord Sabaoth, the, the, the Lord of hosts. He goes by many, many names. He's revealed himself in Holy Scripture by many, many, many names. But he's, he's it. He's the one. He created everything else. Everything else is derived and dependent upon him. And so, therefore, what, what does it say next? Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with half your heart, part of your soul, and a little bit of your might, and maybe 10% of your income. Oh, wait a minute, I'm sorry, it doesn't say that at all, does it? It says in, in, in an appropriate ratio to reality, which is there's only one reality, and that's God, who exists alone and created everything else, 
um, and all of it is to bring glory to him, then in pr proportion to that, then we should love him with everything. You can't be too obsessed with God. You can't be too obsessed with his word. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In, in, in another quotation, it says with all your mind as well. It's all tied up together there, verse 5. Verse 6, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You know, I, we happen to have homeschooled our kids, all, all nine of them, still working on it. I was trying to graduate our last one from high school. Um, we may have to hold him back a year. <laughs> Just kidding, he's not here. So I can, he's, he, he went to church in Chicago this morning. Um, we homeschooled our children and we, we believe in it. It's a very, very awesome way to, to educate kids. Uh, individual tutoring directly to their, their needs. It's awesome. But there are many good ways to educate your children. And I never preach that Christians ought to homeschool. I don't, because there are really many very good ways of educating your kids. And some of it has great success even using public school. And I, I say that with a little hesitancy, because that's a tough, tough environment. But the only way to be successful in no matter what form of education you choose for your kids, hear me, this is the word of God. You must diligently teach your children. That's it. I don't care what form of education you choose. You are a homeschooler if you believe in God, if you believe in the Bible. And you can write that down. That's not me. That's the word of God. You diligently teach your children. And then it's, it's a process. I can't stand up and say we've, we've succeeded uh, 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 very much, but we try. You shall teach them diligently the words to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise, which means it's biological. It's not institutional. Good education is just like life. You learn it always in every way. And, you know, it's not like a six-hour thing uh, where you sit at the table and do workbooks. That can be a part of it, right? But really, he's talking so much more. He's talking about immersion. So, how, how, you know, what's the best way to learn a language, you DLI student? Go up to DLI and they kill you with it, right? <laughs> but no, what, you, you, you go to immersion, right? Which means, we, we Baptists love that word, immersion. <laughs> it means to baptize. It means to dunk under the water. You're immersed. You're in it. It's, it's, it's your ebb and flow. It's your warp and your woof. Is that the right word? So, your weave and your cloth is what I was trying to get at there. So that's what he's saying here. You shall... I, 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 I want to read a little bit here by way of introduction. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall... It's probably metaphorical. The Jews take it very uh, literally, and uh, um, we're not under the law to necessarily have to do this. Uh, you shall write them on the doorposts of your house. I used to deliver newspapers in, in New Jersey, right side outside of New York City. And uh, I'd go collect and deliver the papers to these large uh, apartment complexes. You can always tell the Jews, because they would have a little Torah nailed outside of their door. Um, they take this very, very literally. Uh, you shall put them there on the doorpost. Verse 10. Look, look at this. This is, this is why I'm reading all this. Uh, because this, this is so us. This is, this is warning, warning, United States of America. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Isaac, to, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities, that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards, and olive trees, you know, wine and olive oil galore that you did not plant. And when you eat, 
and are full, then take care lest you forget Yahweh, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God is in for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You see the American culture there? I mean I'm I'm a, I inherited the, the, the wealth and comfort of the post-World War II boom. I, I'm a baby boomer, actually. Uh, there's getting few of us around. I'm still one of them, right? And I, I inherited the vineyards and the olive trees and the cistern and the full house and the suburbia and the, uh, and the electric coffee grinder. <laughs> right? And all of these gadgets and things and wonders and entertainments and uh, connectedness and cell phone, etc., etc., etc. They're all blessings from the Lord. It, it, he's given us these things. But he says, take care lest you forget the Lord. But perhaps we'd be better off to spend a week in Soledad. You know, without the cell phone, without the electric coffee grinder. Even there they get treated pretty well in terms of food. But take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He's the one who saved us. It is the Lord God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. All right, let's get to our text then. 1 Corinthians, if you have a Bible, turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're going to kind of work through the, the rest of the chapter, not necessarily able or desiring to teach every single dot and iota in this section, uh, but to look at it and then to say, what is, what, what's the forest here versus the trees? Uh, we'll look at a lot of the trees, uh, but mainly we're going to try to look at the forest of what, what's the big picture of verse 25 through 40. So allow me to read uh, the Holy Word of God in the English Standard Version today. 1 Corinthians 7, 25. Now, concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give you my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if the betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean. So here's kind of, I think, more of a, a, a broader forest view of what Paul's driving at in this entire chapter. It's nice that he tags it so well. Okay, this is what I mean. Listen to this, get this, right? This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. 
and his interests are divided. And the unmarried and or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Pause for a moment. That sounds a lot like the Lord is one, love the Lord. Love the Lord with everything you have. Undivided devotion. That's for every Christian, for every state, for every time, whether you're in Soledad or in Carmel Valley, um, whether you're in Civic Grove or Monterey or Oak Hills or Royal Oaks, right? I could go on and on no matter where you are. If you're in a prison in China, if you're being persecuted in, um, in North Korea, you're in one, that horrible camp where there are so many believers in North Korea, this is for all of us. We need love for the Lord, undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and if it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to, to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Yet, in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, in this brief time of uh, message, from your holy word, I humbly ask that you would guide us and teach us and challenge each and every one of us. And we'd, I'd like to pause and just think that you are the sovereign Lord over all. You divinely and perfectly composed uh, this group of people uh, for, for this passage of scripture today. And Lord, I pray that I won't be in the way of what you're doing and that you will be the teacher. Thank you, Lord, for the glory of salvation and sins forgiven. Thank you that Jesus is the friend of sinners. What a friend we have in Jesus. And we come to you, Heavenly Father, only, only and always through the extremely glorious salvation purchased for us by our Savior, Jesus. Amen. All right. So... Like I said, I want to kind of work through this passage in terms of teaching. Uh, I'm not here, it's not necessarily the time and place to uh, delineate every single dot, jot, and tittle in this passage. But I want to kind of hit, like I said, the forest uh, and not necessarily all the trees. So I want to explain my title very briefly. Uh, a couple of references from John's teaching. First John 2 says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And now here's what Jesus said, this whole little phrase, in the world, not of the world. Jesus said in John 17, 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. They meaning us, the followers of Jesus. We still live in the world, and I am coming to you. Jesus has gone to the Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So we are in the world. And then he says this in John 15, earlier, verse 18 and 19. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, 
the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus said, we are not of this world. We are to rise above. And that's what Paul is teaching here in this interesting central paragraph, uh, verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. The time is very short. We are preparing. First of all, our lives are short. We don't know how long we're going to live. And we prepare for eternity. We think of what's beyond and better and higher so he says, the time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And then he goes through this list of all these relationships. Now he's not, not at all saying that married people should say, heck with you, I'm no longer married. <laughs> you know? I don't have to talk with you, I don't have to deal with you, I don't have to be faithful with you. No, 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 no. He's not saying that. But he's saying we hold our marriage with loose hands. We, we love the Lord who gave us this marriage. We don't even love the marriage. That's a form of idolatry. People can actually put, I should say can, we all do, <laughs> and it's a the huge opium of the masses of idolatry. We, we constantly, we as human beings, constantly worship what God's given us instead of God. And he says, don't love it. Love me. <laughs> you know, I, I, we love clean water. Okay, I use that word. I, I like it a lot, you know. I love it. But I love God who gave it, right? Thank the Lord for clean water. Thank the Lord for all of these blessings. Thank the Lord for my awesome wife. It's a creation, a gift, a, a, a time of worship. So step back and see what this is about. This whole thing is a, a teaching on true Christian living. I have a book in my office uh, written many generations ago. It says, Life on a Higher Plane. That's what this is about. We're to be otherworldly. So let me go through my uh, thoughts here. First of all, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Last week I had a great message introducing this from, uh, from Jeremy on contentment. The, the idea here is Paul's asking us to be content with what God has given us. Are we content with our current gifts? Uh, look, look back uh, at the passage that Jeremy used last week. It's verse 17 and following. Here it is, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has... What's that next to Assigned. The Lord has assigned to him. You know, we call ourselves a Reformed Baptist Church. And I think recently somebody said, well, what does that mean? And, you know, primarily it means for us is that we respect the doctrines of the Reformation and we think that they are a, a biblical expression. Primarily, it means we love the Bible. Okay? And a big, huge part of that is we love God. Uh, his, this is His Word. And He's the sovereign God over all. And that's how words like this make sense. The Lord has assigned to you your life right now. Look, think about it. This is your assignment from the Lord. Not necessarily your permanent orders. He might give you other orders. He might get, change the assignment, right? But you shouldn't look at this and say, oh, this is a horrible mistake. You following me? The, I, was, I read a great commentary. Uh, the, I just want to honor the author because none of us have or ever will hear of him. <laughs> His name is Reverend Marcus Dodds, uh, Doctor of Divinity. Uh, this was published in the year 1900 in the Expositor's Bible. And he says this about this particular idea that I'm hitting on right now. It is not externals that make a Christian. And if God's grace has found a man in unlikely circumstances, that is the best evidence he can have 
that he will find opportunity of serving God in those circumstances. Let me read that again because it's really good. If God's grace has found a man in unlikely circumstances, like, oh, how did I get here? How, how did I get in cell block three? Uh, it's an assignment from God. He's put you here in that circumstance because he has ministry, service. You're supposed to serve him there. You're supposed to say, this is where the Lord has assigned me and I'm going to be his servant here. I'm going to live for him here and now. I'm going to make the best of this and look for the opportunities that he will bring my way. We should seek first the kingdom of God. Look, in, in our text, several, that's the point of contentment. Uh, it, and, and again, here, here you it's not like if you're in a, a one circumstance, you should never, you know, like God says, okay, never write a resume. <laughs> never go on monster.com and look for a new job. No, God's not saying that. But he's saying, don't make it your entire obsession to seek a way out of this circumstance. What's my God? Oh, my God is to get out of this circumstance. <laughs> no, no, no. That's sick. That's wrong. Take, for example, it says, do not, it's, don't seek a wife. Don't seek a wife. Or don't seek a husband. And this doesn't have anything to do with any of you single people, because none of you are having this problem, as far as I know. But have you ever met that guy who, for like the last 12 years, his only obsession has been to try to find a wife. And within the first 32 seconds of meeting him, you know, this guy is desperate. <laughs> He's desperate. And tell me, ladies, what's the biggest deterrent to any sensible woman? A desperate guy, right? I mean, it's, it sort of smells like, you might think, a skunk smells, you know? Like, <laughs> stay away from this guy. <laughs> Why? Because he's made it his obsession. His God is seeking a wife. He's not content. He's not saying, oh, the sovereign Lord of the entire universe has assigned me this role right now and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the best of it and I'm going to learn from it and I'm going to grow here. You know, I've, I've counseled many of these guys over the years. Less so women, but a few women I think too probably. And my counsel is always, improve your situation right now. Grow into it. Learn what it is. Serve the Lord the way you are now. We had one guy who was a part of the situation just like this. and He was a part of our church, a single guy. And, um, and he just wanted to get married. Constantly just wanted to get married. And, and we, we invited him to be a part of our, our servant team, the deacons. And for a long time, he was unemployed, single. And during that entire time, we couldn't get him to do, lift one finger here. He wouldn't do anything. We literally asked him one time, could you go to Costco and buy these things for us? He says, I don't know if I have the time. Yeah, okay, you're single, you're unemployed in, in you know, Greenland um, or Iceland or whatever that line is. <laughs> um, you know, it, honestly, what's the problem here? There's no obsession with God. There's no, I'm ready to serve God no matter what he asks me to do. It's an obsession with me. I worship my condition. Do not seek. Do, something going on over there? A new broadcast? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> seek first the kingdom of God. By the way, of course, that is from Jesus himself in Matthew 6, 33. So Paul's saying, don't seek. It. Don't make it your whole obsession to change your situation in your life. But my second point, my second slide is this. Ooh, that one didn't build. Okay, that's fine. Uh, we live for a higher calling. We're, we're called to live on this sort of otherworldly, no matter what our attachment, we're sort of unattached to it. Uh, that's what he's saying in that interesting paragraph. No matter what your attachment, you have a higher attachment, a higher obsession than what you're currently doing. You know, uh, again, let's just read this because it's very, very important. Verse 29, 
Let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they are not mourning. He's not saying a Christian never mourns, no. But remember Paul said another place, we sorrow not as those who have no hope. He's not saying we don't sorrow, we don't grieve. We should grieve at a funeral, uh, and we should shed some tears, absolutely. I think the saddest funeral I ever went to was a a friend of my father. It went on for uh, two hours, and nobody said, I like the guy, and I'm going to miss it. I felt like, wow, this is weird. (laughs) You know, because there's all this like, hooray, hooray, he's in heaven, yippee, yippee, yippee. (laughs) And uh, honestly, it just felt really weird and and, uh, artificial. Like, he was your dad. Didn't you love him? I mean, I want my kids to cry, okay? Told me, cry when I die. <laughs> um, not that we want to, you know, make that anytime soon. But, uh, <laughs> but no, no, but, but even in our mourning, we, we rise above the mourning and we say, you know what, there's a sovereign God here. He's, a, he's got this in, he's got this. He's got this in control. This is not the one epic cosmic reality that surprised him. There is no such thing. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. He created everything. Everything is derived and dependent upon him. So we can trust him completely. Um, and those who rejoice as though they are not rejoicing. You know, so, well, those are silly little things, right? But uh, I do like coffee. And I rejoice over every, my son. <laughs> my son said, uh, we gave him a new coffee maker for his birthday. And, and, and he said, it makes the best cup of coffee I've ever had every time. <laughs> and you know, that's kind of the experience. God's so good. He's made a lot of experiences that way. It's like, wow, that was great. Last time was great. This was great. I love this. But, but. I shouldn't rejoice over it like it's an end in itself. Right? No, I use it as a way of saying, Lord, thank you that I have this privilege of sitting down in a quiet place drinking a cup of coffee. It's actually kind of tasty. And you made, you grew this bush with this awesome little bean and, you know, you grind it up and pour hot water on it. It tastes good. Thank you. Your your creation is really cool. Right? Yeah. We, we should be worship fanatics. I love the Lord. You know, and, and that's a silly little thing. Think about the forgiveness of sins, you know. I don't have to suffer forever because of my rotten, rotten sin. The bliss of that glorious thought. So, anyway, rejoicing those who buy as though they have no goods. He's not saying we shouldn't buy and sell. We should be great businessmen. We should be the businessmen of integrity. You know, the business women who actually keep their word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be shocking? Um, et cetera, et cetera. I think you've got the point. Our calling into grace leads to an otherworldliness. We kind of soar above it. Uh, I, I love this. I, I worded that this morning or yesterday. I say our calling into grace. We're called into God's grace. We're we're loved and forgiven, and our salvation is based uh, on grace, through faith alone. And it's a tremendous, overwhelming gift that we have, and it, it leads to otherworldliness. We're connected with something bigger. Jesus had this to say again in John 28, 23. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. He's talking to his enemies, the the religious guys, the Pharisees. You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Uh, we talked through John, and I, I made a huge point of that at the time uh, because I don't think you can say it anymore uh, graphically. But God's grace so calls us to be not of this world. We're, we're strangely untouched. We're rejoicing, but we're not rejoicing. We're mourning, but we're not mourning. I'm married, 
and I'm 100% married, but on the other hand, it's not the, it's not the best thing. There's something bigger and better. My relationship, my devotion, my love for God. I love verse 32. He's talking about why he thinks, and he says this is my opinion. Um, you know, I have no command of the Lord. He's just giving advice that he thinks it would be, it'd be really good if we had a lot of single Christian folks who dedicated themselves to Christian service. Yeah, that would be a really good thing. Um, but see verse 32. I just like that so much. Uh, I, I want you to be free from anxieties, right? But look, he, he has a little play on words here. I want you to be free from anxiety. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. So yeah, we're free from anxieties of the world, but we should be anxious about the things of the Lord. Um, look at the language there. Anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. Yeah, if you're if you're a Christian who loves the Lord, you know it when you meet somebody who's anxious about the things of the Lord. Right? There's something special about them, no matter their situation in life. I, I met you know, people who are murderers who repented of the murder, and now their big obsession in life is truly devotion to the Lord God. They're anxious about the things of the Lord. That's what consumes them now. That's what should consume us. He wants us to be anxious for the things of the Lord. He, you know, God forbid we're of the classification of people, oh, there's leaves in my driveway. I better not go to church today. Right? Can I hear an amen? <laughs> amen. You're here, some of you. And I'm not criticizing anyone not here, but I'm just saying, uh, you know, there's, there's a lion in the street. <laughs> I can't go out, is one of the proverbs. No, that's not being anxious about the things of the Lord. Uh, our brother Bennett here, we love, we love you, Bennett, and, and he's a single man in a strange country living on his own in Monterey, and what is he, what's he really anxious about? The things of the Lord. And when we open our doors, he's here. And we, he, he's at 6.30 breakfast every, uh, every Tuesday. And he, he'll teach. And he, when you ask him to teach, give him like two hours notice. Sure, I'll teach. Because he loves the Lord. And he, he's educated in the things of the Lord. You know, may there be hundreds more. All right, let me have a drink. I love this wine. <laughs> I'm not trying to embarrass Bennett, but we think uh, we'd like a lot more Bennett's. And may we follow good examples ourselves. We should be anxious. Are you anxious? Do you give a rip? You know, do you, when's the last time you actually cared about a lost person? When you actually supported a missionary, when you actually uh, went out of your way to help a Christian brother or sister. That's, that's what Paul's talking about. And then I, I just love verse 35, and I'm going to spend a little time on this. Uh, verse 35. <laughs> I say this for your own benefit. Paul the Apostle wants to benefit us. He's giving us this great advice. Not to lay any restraint upon you but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. That's why I read Deuteronomy. Love the Lord. That's what we should all be striving for. Um, we should all be growing into this kind of living. This should be our goal, to be that kind of Christian. We, you know, we don't get there by one-time decision. It's a commitment of long term. This word devotion is so important in the, in the Bible. The coolest thing is, in the Greek text, it, like every time it's used, practically, it's a different word. They have a whole bunch of different takes at, at, that kind of all mean the same thing, you know, in the same uh, neighborhood, but, but they're all slightly different. And I have a whole sermon on that. Uh, but let me just give you a little tiny bit here because it's, it's so important. I think, and the word is undivided. What is devotion? See, 
That's the question. What is devotion? This is what God has saved us for. So Not so that when we are blessed and we move into the nice cities and have the vineyards and the olive plants, we forget the Lord. That's going to make him mad. That's what the text says. He doesn't want to share our hearts. He wants to bless our hearts. But he doesn't want to share our hearts. Devotion. Um, it's in uh, Luke 16, 13. Let's look at these really quickly. Um, maybe you want to jot this down for another time. Luke 16, 13. This is the strong, strong teaching of Jesus. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus wants us to be devoted to himself, to God. And this, this word means to hold firmly, to cling to, to adhere to. Paul uses it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, be, be incredibly loyal to the, the physically weak. Hold firmly to them. Love them. Don't give up on them. They will wear you out. Hold firmly. Cling. Adhere to. Look at uh, Acts 2. These are, these are some high uh, points in the use of the word devotion in the English Bible. 2.42. And th- these are all, uh, again, different Greek words. 2.42. Oh, isn't this a precious one? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They, they, they would never say, there's a, there's a branch on the street I can't, I can't join with God's people today. They were devoted. They'd, you know, they'd figure a way uh, to, to come. This word, it means to persist in adherence, to be intently engaged in, attend constantly to, to remain constantly in a place, to constantly attend upon, continue near to, to be at hand, to attend to, to be devoted. That's, that's the level that God is asking us to. And then in 1 Corinthians, we have it, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, not, not our passage, 1 Corinthians 16, 15, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. And this word is a a common Greek word used in different ways. It's the word tasso, and it means to arrange, hupotasso. It's the word to be submitted, like wives submit to your husband. Hupotasso means to arrange yourself under his authority. So tasso means to, to arrange, to, to plan on it, to make sure it happens, to set a point, to allot, a sign, to settle, to decide. That's what devotion is. Devotion isn't flippant like, oh, what are we going to do today? Oh, well, we could do that. No, you, you're, that's your plan. You do that. You plan ahead to make sure you love the Lord. It's not, I, I, you know, I'm spontaneous to a fault, absolutely. Uh, but our, our love of the Lord can't be last minute. You, you plan on it. You set it down. This is our pattern. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. And look at, uh, just, just two more. 1 Timothy 5, 10. 1 Timothy 5, 10. 1 Timothy 5.10. This is a really interesting passage uh, which um, gives us, lays down the reason why we should have a a sense of social security and 
and even welfare, but it, it should ultimately be governed by moral principles, which the government can't possibly do. Um, and, and that's what they're saying here. Let the widow be enrolled, let her be put on the list of people you will support. If she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the, the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted, there's our word, devoted herself to every good work. And this, this time, uh, it means to pursue, even to prosecute. Don't you like those police shows where there's a pro prosecutor that, uh, you know, like on his own free time, he has an obsession to catch the bad guy, right? And he's doing all this research and looking, digging in the cold, dead files of 27 years ago and scratching his head, looking, thinking, applying, comparing, right? That's, that's to, to prosecute, to go after. That's this word devotion. That's what, that's what love is. We pursue the Lord. We, we're studious. We're devoted to. And then one final uh, reference, please. Uh, Hebrews 13, 9. I, I will be wrapping up real soon. Before the next noon whistle, Lord willing, I will be done. <laughs> but tomorrow's a holiday, yes, sir. No problem. Hebrews 13, 9. Oh, this is so good. Oh, this is so good. Look at this. Hebrews 13, 9. Not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food which have not benefited those devoted to them. And one of the strange idols of our age is, you know, doesn't Karl Marx said you are what you eat? Uh, a naturalist uh, saying all you are is a biological thing, so you are what you eat. And there's this strange obsession of be focusing on so much, everything in my life is what, what, what I eat, it, it can become an idol. It can become a diversion. And that's what's happening here. Uh, the Jews, you see, were teaching lots of dietary restrictions that weren't necessary for in the New Covenant. The heart, the heart can be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So here's a form, time, when the word devotion is used uh, uh, in a negative way. He's saying, you can be devoted to the wrong thing. And in this case, he's saying, you can allow something like diet to become your new God. It's like, that's what you're all about. In, in three minutes, I won't hear about Jesus. I'll hear about mm -mm from you. <laughs> Some dietary thing, right? Oh, we have people stared with steely eyes. Either that or it was boring. <laughs> I'm just saying, caution, caution. There's many ways, diverse. That's, that's a whole bunch of different ways. Strange teaching which can divert you from your true devotion. So I, I'll close. Let me just review this slide. We're, we live for a higher calling. God has called us to kind of soar, soar above. Go to, go, go to Disneyland, California Adventure. There's soaring over California. Have you been there? Yeah, you should go. It's pretty cool. I went there with my son, Soren, and poor guy got ribs for a long time about that. <laughs> uh, he, he was born in California, but spelled differently. But you soar over the gorgeous uh, landscape of, of this great state of ours, my home state, and you, you think how lovely and how wonderful it is. And that's the way, that's the, way the Christian life is. We're supposed to soar above it. Um, and to be praising God for it. Our, our calling into grace leads to an otherworldliness. We're not of this world. Remember Peter said what? We are strangers and pilgrims uh, on this pathway. We are to be anxious about the things of the Lord. And we need to strive for undivided devotion. 
And this is my final slide. Very practical. Head in the clouds, feet on the ground. <laughs> okay. Head in the clouds, feet on the ground. I'm saying your head should be in the clouds for sure. Always about striving and thinking about eternity. But on the other hand, our feet should be on the ground. One could easily, and, and there's this thing in us, we call it the sin nature. One could easily rationalize this passage into saying that, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm faithful to my wife. I'm going to act like I'm unmarried. I know that sounds preposterous. Nobody would say that. I bet you somebody has said that. <laughs> I bet you somebody has read that verse and said, Aha, it's okay for me to sleep with this other woman. Um, you know, let's not put it past them, right? So I want to say that this doesn't erase the sort of feet on the ground. There's, we're, to, we're to obey the literal commands of God. We're to obey the literal commands of God. And here's some that we have sampled in our text. Soaring, yet obeying our Lord. Purity, right? It says in 1 Corinthians 6, flee immorality. You're not to be partaking in sexual immorality. Don't be persuaded otherwise. Uh, we're soaring, yet we're obeying. We have our feet on the ground. Another real big one is no divorce. This passage is real strong. Uh, and the church has kind of lost this because we, we focus mainly on the exception. You know, the, there is an exception given by Jesus in Matthew 19, yes. But the main thrust of the scripture is no divorce. Right? And we can't say, well, it doesn't matter. I'm going to soar above this. Uh, I, I believe in grace. Let's. Err. I, I heard a great, a great. Uh, I shouldn't say great. A pastor in San Jose years and years ago, justifying the adultery. Well, we're gonna we're gonna focus on grace. You know, we're gonna focus on grace and not law. And so we're gonna just let this adultery happen, and we're gonna bless it as a church. He didn't say the last part, but that's what he was saying. And I'm telling you, that's, that's not what God is teaching. you understand? Do you, I, you agree with me? No. Feet on the ground. It says divorce is not an option, uh, and adultery is certainly sin. Uh, and I said, I'm not, I'm not hitting all the nails here. Uh, just swinging the hammer around. Uh, <laughs> integrity. We're called to integrity in earthly involvement. None of what I've said about sorrow... <laughs> otherworldliness ever says that we don't have to be people of integrity in earthly involvement. And we should honor contracts. Because some of the flakiest people can be Christians, right? <laughs> I don't have to do this because, uh, you know, the Lord will forgive me. I had a guy sell me a used car. He, and, and I knew, he, I, I found out later, I bought a used car, and it supposedly had 65,000 miles on it. Then I found an oil change sticker that said the oil was changed at 98,000 miles. And I said, oh. <laughs> no, I had a big meltdown. It was very, very upsetting. And, and the oil sticker was really old. <laughs> like the date was like three years ago. And the guy claimed to be a Christian. And I called him. I called him on the phone. I said, hey, you know, how many miles does this car have on it? Did you change the mileage? He got, and I remember, he I don't care if it has 365,000 miles on it. But it was the exact words to me. He wasn't, I, I asked him, okay, you, you owe me money, you know, because you fudged on, on the mileage. Uh, and then he said, I don't know about you, but in my church, you could ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. So he quoted his Christianity. You know, I can sin because forgiveness is easy. So, no, 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 no. You know, no, Christians shouldn't be flaky and wrong. We honor contracts, we honor family obligations, and we certainly uh, should celebrate citizenship responsibilities, like serving for the U.S. Navy or Army or whatever, or running for office, uh, and praying for our, our uh, folks in office. Absolutely. Okay, that's my message for the day. Uh, we should seek first the kingdom of God. No matter what our assignment, we live for a higher calling. And then finally I said, head in the clouds, but, but feet on the ground. Let's pray. Father, in your kindness and grace, we trust you to teach all of us, Lord. We pray that we will really be devoted and more so and growing in devotion and avoiding sin. I'm always so moved that Jesus said, 
forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lord, that's our prayer. Amen. We'll stand together for the closing song and the benediction.